The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. We're going to talk about that this morning, who's your one. But let me first ask a question to us here in particular to those of us who are part of First Conyers, First Baptist Church of Conyers, whatever name you like to use. The question really is this, when we strip everything else away, I mean, everything that, that we do here, everything that's going on we, with the core, what is the core of what we do here as a local church body? What's the core of where we're going? What's the core? In, in other words, what, what do we do? What's our purpose here? And I'd like to propose to you that our purpose primarily as First Conyers is what we state as our mission which comes from Matthew chapter 28, the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples that were there before he ascended to the Father. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things as I've commanded you, and the gates of hell will not prevail. All authority has been given to you. Now go and make disciples. We boiled that down to say this as our mission. If you're not familiar with our mission, I'd encourage you to write it down. I'd encourage you to look in the bulletin. I'd encourage you to look at plastered on the wall. But the purpose of why we are here as a local church is to fulfill the mission that Christ gave us to display God's grace to all people. Let me ask those of you this morning who have placed your trust in Christ and you know that you're born again and that you walk with Him, did you come to Him by His grace? Every day in your life, do you experience the grace of God in your walk with Him? Yes. And that's the same way that we believe that as Christ followers, where He's commanded us to love, that we're to display His grace to all people, regardless of who they are, regardless of the, what, their background, regardless of the age, regardless of their ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that God has us here to display His grace. But we have a responsibility in that. And that is that we be intentional about introducing them to Jesus and we win them to Christ. And once we've won them to Christ, we've led them as the Spirit has drawn them, that we have a, responsible, as a responsibility then to do what Jesus said, and that is to make disciples. In other words, to make other followers after Jesus as we're following Him, to invest in others so that they learn how to follow Him just as we're following Him. And then lastly, that we send them so that they repeat and do the same thing. So it's very simple. Our mission here is to display God's grace, win them to Jesus, disciple them in Jesus, and then send them for Jesus. That's our purpose. Here's the title of the message this morning. Christian or disciple? Let me put it another way. I might ask the question, are you a Christian or are you a disciple? And we're going to see that there's a vast difference between the terminology of being a Christian or being a disciple of Jesus. Before we start that, let me ask you this question, though. If I use the term Christian, and don't anybody blurt this out, okay? But if I use the term Christian, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Let me warm us up a little bit. I have some things that I've kind of selected. We're going to play a little game here this morning, uh, just a word association game. And so I'm going to throw a word out there, and then what's the first thing that comes to your mind? If I say vegan, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it this or is it this? If anybody's a vegan, please don't be insulted. All right, here's another one. If I say NASCAR fan, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it this lovely couple or is it this guy? <laughs> if I say the word, <coughs> is Jason Hill here this morning? Jason, you're not allowed to participate in this, okay? If I say the word Georgia Bulldog fan, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it this? Or is it this? There we go. This is my favorite. If I say banjo player, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? This guy? If you don't know who that is and you're too young, you didn't see the movie. Or is it this handsome guy? There we go. Now, when I say the word Christian, is it this guy? 
or is it this guy? You see, I'm convinced that if I were to ask 10 individuals what comes to their mind when I say Christian, whether they be a part of the church or whether they be outside of the church, I think if I asked 10 people what's, what's a Christian, I'd probably get close to 10 different answers or response to that. I think particularly if I asked people within the church and not on the street, what is the first thing that comes to your mind or are you a Christian, I would have a response like this. Well, I became a Christian... All of us have a starting point, if you will, at some point in our life where we became a Christian. There was a conscious decision that we made. If someone says, well, I, I, I just always have been, there's a question, have you made that commitment? Secondly, I hear this oftentimes when I ask the question, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ, really, is what I ask. And the person tells me, well, I was baptized. Now, they may not understand fully what, it, what, it, what, what their baptism meant. You see, our baptism was at the time that we became a Christian. The time that we became a Christian, the time that we were born again, was when we repented of our sin, made a commitment to follow Jesus, and trusted His work on our behalf to save us. That's the point in that. Baptize is the thing we do in obedience, not necessarily meaning that one is a Christian or a Christ follower just because they've been baptized. Or I sometimes get this response, well, I started going to church. Now, there are real red flags that pop up in my brain when somebody says that. Because you see, that's the idea that, well, there, there are these things I've got to do, and then that classifies me as a Christian. Here's some interesting facts for us to know. The first followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians. What they referred to themselves as, if they were a follower of Jesus, was not that they were a Christian, but they were a disciple. That simply means one who follows and repeats the pattern, who learns to be an apprentice. They, they were disciples of Jesus. The first time that the word Christian was used in Scripture, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it was when in Antioch that they were first called Christians there. And actually, that term, when they were called Christians, was a somewhat derogative statement or a making fun of them kind of statement. Think of the word Christian. What's in it? What's the first part of it? Christ, which means what? Messiah. The Messiah that was to come. So, the term was used as we've got these little messiahs running around here. They just want to be a little Jesus. So, it's kind of spoken with tongue-in-cheek, a way that might have been said was, you're all just little Jesuses around here. You just want to be a little Jesus walking around. The first believers called themselves disciples. The word Christian in the New Testament is only used three times in all the New Testament. In contrast to that, the word disciple is used in Scripture over 281 times. Go figure, right? So three times it's Christian. Now, I'm not proposing to you this morning that if we refer to ourselves as Christians and we're using the wrong name, that we should always call ourselves disciples, although there is a distinction, I believe, in being a Christian or calling myself a Christian and calling myself a disciple, which is a Christ follower. Do you see the difference there? You see, Christian is just an association of an organization, Christ follower or a disciple of Jesus means that we are responding to what He has called us to do, and what He's called us to do is to follow Him. I do want to make this suggestion, though, that in changing the primary word that we use to describe ourselves, changing from disciple, as the first believers did, call themselves disciples, to Christians, we've lost the clarity of the word disciple conveyed about what a follower of Jesus actually is. When we were in Israel this summer, we had a, a guide by the name of Yuval. And those who were on the trip probably have a little chuckle when I mention Yuval's name. Yuval was a Jewish Christ follower. He had grown up in Judaism, a good little Jewish boy, and then later in his adult life, he finally accepted the claims of Jesus to be Messiah and placed his faith in Christ and made a commitment to follow Jesus. And you've all told me that 
Jewish believers um, do not call themselves Christians. What they call themselves is either believer or followers of Christ. They make that distinction. And the reason they make that distinction there, particularly in Jerusalem, because if you know much about Jerusalem and the history of Jerusalem, the city there, you know that it's divided into three quarters. You have the quarter that's segregated as the Muslim quarter. And then you have the quarter that's segregated as the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem. And then you have the quarter that's segregated as the Christian quarter. And the reason they call themselves believers and Christ followers is because they don't want to be associated with, with what is segregated as the Christian quarter in Jerusalem. And the reason they don't want to be associated with it is because it is just filled of religiosity and iconic worship of edifices of Christ. Christian kind of symbolism and there's no commitment or there's no desire or there's no emphasis on following Jesus. It's just a matter of being a part of the organization of Christian. Do you get the idea? Now we could do the same thing in our church even, right? We could kind of divide it up and we say, well, there may be, there's a sector here that are, that are non-believers in Jesus. We have some of those here every Sunday. Maybe they're good church folk. They've been coming their whole life, but they've never trusted Christ. So we got non-believers here. And we could have a section or a sector of those who call themselves Christian, and whether they are or not is not a place or a way for me to and, or you to judge, but they've taken on the label as Christian, but then we might have that quarter of individuals who are disciples, who are Christ followers. There's a big difference in all three of those areas. And my question is, what did Jesus call us to be? He didn't call us to be Christians, did he? He called us to follow after him. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to break this down a little bit and look at five key things in this passage that stand out to us as to what a disciple, and we'll have a clarity of a distinction at the end of this to know whether or not we are a disciple or a Christian. You know, before I came to Christ personally and I accepted Him as my Savior, I placed my trust in Him. If you'd asked me, was I a Christian, I would have said, absolutely. I had that happen one time. Um, you may have heard the story. I'm not sure if I've shared this with you, but when I was about 19 or so, there were, on the submarine base where I was stationed, there was a gym that I would work out at when we were in port, and there was this cute gal that worked at the desk, not nearly as cute as my wife, but she was cute. And I wanted to go out with her. I wanted to take her on a date. And so I would work out more often, right? just so I could see her. And one day she asked me, because I would wear a cross around my neck, are you a Christian? And I thought, that's a dumb question. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm from the South. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I'm white. Yeah, I'm a Christian, right? Big difference between professing to be a Christian and being a disciple. Jesus Matthew chapter 4, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, Matthew writes for us, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus cried out, told them, follow me, and I will make you to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men, some of your translations say. Now, here's, here's an odd word. I want you to circle it. Verse 20 says, and immediately... They left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, presumably to go out and fish. And he called them. And immediately, there's that word again, verse 22. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and they followed after him. Does this seem a little odd to you? I mean, here's this guy, Jesus, and they probably had heard about Jesus. He had had some time in the region there around Galilee, and so his name may have come up. Maybe they'd heard some of the things he was doing. But this is very early on in his ministry, and he comes up to him and he says, Hey, guys, follow me. And what does it say that they did what? They immediately followed him. That doesn't make very good logical sense, does it? 
I mean, if it had been me, I would have asked the journalism questions. Well, who are you? I mean, you want me to follow you, then who are you? I would have said, what, what is it that you want? I mean, what if, somebody, what, what if somebody comes up to you in the street this afternoon and says, hey, man, follow me. You're going to get away from me, you freak. What's wrong with you, right? <laughs> what is it that you want? Where are we going? What is it that you want me to do? How far and when? When is it you want me to follow? You want me to meet you back here in a month and, and then we'll set out? But you mean right now, follow me? How do you want me to follow you? What are these things? All of these things should have been asked, but immediately he says they got out of the boat. Now we have to understand a little bit about the culture in that day and what was taking place to see why they immediately followed Jesus. You see, it was every little Jewish boy's responsibility and their parents' responsibility that at the age of five, they would be put into what was their school system, their Hebrew school system, and they had no choice, but at the age of five, they were placed in it, and they were taught every single day the Torah of the first five books of the Bible. And the very first day that they were there, the rabbi that was teaching the classes to these little Hebrew boys where they would memorize great portions of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's what we call the Torah. It was a school of Torah. They would take a drop of honey and they would put it on their tongue when they began to recite the first verse, in the beginning God, so that they would understand and get it in their mind that there's nothing sweeter than the Word of God, the law of God. But then after they had reached the age of 10, after they had been in the school for five years, the rabbis would kind of call the group of boys. And they would select the top 20% or so of those little boys, and then they had the opportunity for the next seven years, at the age of 10, the next seven years to go on and study all of the rest of Scripture from the book of Joshua to Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi. That's a bad joke, but I had to get your attention. And so it was only the A-team of boys, you might say, that made it through that first cut, the top 20%, and they went on for seven years. And then after that, if they wanted to devote their life and give their life into the study of Scripture and become a rabbi or a teacher, they were allowed to do that, but they had to seek out one who was already a rabbi and go through a period of qualifications and questioning and examination that that individual would take them on and make them their disciple so that they might give their life over to it. We saw that when we were in Israel. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's incredible that there's still all of this group of Orthodox Jews that, that when they become adults, their life is given over to nothing but going to the wall, praying, studying the Scriptures, etc. And that's what they do. They were part of that 18, that top cut. When a rabbi would choose one of these guys it meant that they were the best of the best. That they had the greatest ability, they probably had the greatest smarts, they had the greatest potential because this rabbi was going to take them and live life with them and pour everything in them, just invest in them so that they might not only know what they know, but they act just like they acted. That they would respond the same way that they did, that they would have the same mannerism that they did. The greatest compliment you could give a rabbi at that time was where one of these Talmudin or the disciples, they, would, they had the phrase that said, His du your dust just flies off of your disciple. In other words, man, you've just really transferred yourself over to him. Now, hang with me. This is the A-team, right? What do we find Peter and Andrew and James and John doing? Fishing. What's that tell you? They missed the cut. They didn't make it on to that. That was, that was the highest thing that a, a young man or boy in Jerusalem could have done in the day. Now, at that time as well, there were those who were, can I, can I say the term, they, they, were the, they were the upper crust of the rabbis. These were the guys that seemed to have particular unknown insight into the law of God or the scriptures. They didn't just repeat what they had heard their other rabbis say, but they had deep depth and knowledge and understanding to the scripture. One of them that's referred to in scripture is Gamil. Do you know who was trained under Gamil? 
Paul. And so these were the upper echelon guys. Everybody sought them out, and they were known to perform miracles at times by the divine power of God. And so here Jesus comes along. These guys are are looking for somebody to teach them, and Jesus' reputation had already gone out as one of those who taught with authority. Because he used phrases like this, you've heard it said, in other words, you've heard the rabbis say, and it's in the law, do not murder. But I tell you that if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Whoa, we've never heard these kind of things before. As a matter of fact, One of the criticisms that the Pharisees levied against Jesus when he was teaching, they would ask him, man, by what authority, by what chilma, what what authority do you teach these things? They were questioning it. And it was said of Jesus that they had never, they were amazed at his teachings. Never have we heard anyone speak with such authority. So when Jesus calls the disciples, calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they immediately get out of the boat and they leave everything and they follow after him. Five things I want us to note in Jesus' calling of his disciples. Number one is this. He does not choose the best. Jesus didn't go out looking for guys from the A-team. He looked for guys that had been cut and they were a part of the B-team. He didn't go out looking for the smartest. He didn't go out looking for the wisest. He didn't go out looking for the most capabilities an individual had. He didn't go out looking for somebody that had it all together. He chose by his sovereignty individuals that only he could work through and they could accomplish those things that God would desire for them to accomplish. Can I tell you something this morning? You may not be a part of the A-team in the world, But listen, Jesus chose you because there's something that he wants to do in you and through you that only he could do. He is not looking for the best. You're not here this morning. You're not in relationship with Jesus because you have something to offer to him. Hello? He doesn't choose the best. That's not his criteria. His criteria, criteria, you try that. His criteria in choosing is choosing the willing. Think about it. He didn't choose the best. He chose the willing. I love what John MacArthur writes in relation to this. He says, in choosing his disciples, Jesus skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexander. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodias, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar, the great ruler. He chose men to be his disciples, so ordinary that it was comical. Not a single rabbi, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half of them were fishermen, One was essentially an IRS agent, and one of them was a former terrorist. He chooses the willing, not the best. It's kind of like that call that Isaiah heard going out from God in the throne room where God says, Who will go for me? And Isaiah steps up. He didn't know what, where. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know when. He just hears God saying, who will go for me? And he says, here am I. Send me. That's what he wants from us, right? A willing heart. Friends of mine, Greg and Laura, uh, Greg and Beverly Wooten, first met them just about four years ago when I relocated back to Conyers with the missions organization that I was working for, Bible Training Center for Pastors. And about three years prior to me meeting Beverly and and, uh, Greg, Greg had retired. He he was a construction worker, not not a professional kind of guy, just your everyday kind of guy. And he was trying to figure out, what do I do now in life that I'm retired? He was still young. He had retired. And he went to a BTCP, Bible Training Center for Pastors, presentation. 
and he hears all the presentation for a day and a half. And just so you know, I'll put it in parentheses, BTCP means Bible Training Center for Pastor. It's the courses that we teach here on Tuesday night, six of those ten courses. We're theological courses that are intended to equip church leaders and pastors in developing nations to have a theological education where they would never have any other opportunity. These are the things that they got to know in word so that they might go and fulfill the calling that God has in their lives. And so he goes to this presentation. He says, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm going to take the retirement that I built up because I believe that God wants me to go to Kenya, Africa and begin training national pastors who will never, ever have the opportunity. He did not have a college degree. He did not have a seminary degree. He had deep knowledge of Scripture because he had spent his life following Christ and digging into the Scriptures. And BTCP said, man, that's great. We can't support you. We, we, we can't, we'll, we'll come alongside of you. We'll help you. And it was kind of a let's see what God does in this kind of thing. So Greg and Beverly moved there. That was several years ago. Today, after seven years, they now have over 6,000 pastors and church planters that they have trained in Kenya the work is spread to Uganda. The work is spread to the Dominican Republic of Congo, to Zambia, Malawi, and Mozambique. And currently, today, there are over seven generations now there in Kenya of pastors who have been equipped and trained by other pastors who have gone through. In other words, they poured themselves in, they discipled them, they trained them, and now there are seven generations that are there. Why? Because he was willing to go and do whatever God was calling calling him to do. Just two months ago, I got word that their son had been murdered in Uganda, and their son was working along with them now, had his own family, and had been murdered in Uganda. And the first response was, oh man, is this going to, you know, how tragic that is. Greg and Beverly have made a decision that regardless of what the loss is, they're going to continue to do what God's called them to do. See, I don't know what it is that, that the Lord has laid in your heart of ministry. And it doesn't have to be big and grandiose, but I do believe this, that every one of us, if we're hearing the Holy Spirit, He is calling and leading us to do something. And it's not a matter of whether or not you have the ability. It's a matter of whether or not you have the availability to do what God has called you and me to do. See, the question is not how able are you. The question is how available are you. Number two, not only that he does not choose the best, but God chose us, not we him. They weren't sitting there in their boats trying to make a decision. Okay, when, when this Jesus guy comes along, we've decided that that we're going to choose him to be our rabbi. We're going to choose him to be our teacher. No, it says that Jesus went along and Jesus chose them. Do you realize this morning that you are born again? You're in the kingdom. You're one of his because he chose you and you didn't choose him. You weren't looking for him when you were saved. We might have thought we were looking for him, but the Bible tells us that we are so wretchedly depraved that we're not able to seek out after God. But only when God draws us by the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. You see, it's by grace, God's grace that that he has chosen us. We didn't have anything good to offer him. He had everything good to offer us. You see, that should give you and I confidence when we just even go back to the fact that God chose us. Now, if, if we have the idea that God chose us because there was something in us that he needed, then we're not going to get this. Some of us may be sitting here today, yeah, God chose me because I got so much good stuff to offer. Baloney. It, it gives us great confidence to know that, that God chose us because He wants to use us. 
We didn't make the A team cut. We're part of the B team, but God chose us, and he knows what he can do through one willing individual. God can do so much more through one that just says, Lord, I'm available, than he can a church crammed with 2,000 that are just coming there for the light show. He wants people that are available. Jesus said this in John 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus did some pretty incredible stuff. He said, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me will do the same works that I do. Follow me. Follow what he says. And greater works than these he will do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we so miss the interpretation of this, and we think it means that, God, I can sit out and do anything I want because I'm asking you. He's talking about spiritual matters here. You see, Jesus was limited. You know why Jesus was limited? Because we have something that he's talking about in later verses that he's going to give to us that will enable us to do more than what he did in his earthly ministry where he laid aside some of his certain attributes or certain rights as deity, and that is we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And he desires to work through us. We might have abilities and we might have gifts but I'm telling you, until we surrender those over to him and say, God, it's not me, but I depend so much on your Holy Spirit to work through these feeble gifts that I can offer you that nothing is going to come from this unless you do. And let me tell you this, when you selected your one, you have the idea, oh no, I could never do that. I can never intentionally share Christ with somebody. Yes, you can. And it's not you that, do it, that does it, it's him that does it through you. You see, we have the idea that we've got to save people. We don't save anybody. It's God by the Holy Spirit who draws them and opens their heart. Our responsibility is to share Christ or share our story with them. Sometimes I've heard responses when I've challenged people to things. I hear, I hear this response sometimes, why I could never... I could never, or, oh, I don't think I could. Yeah, I just don't have the personality for that. You know what's wrong with those phrases? The pronoun. No, I don't, but he does. Remember the story? I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm going over today. If you got chicken in the crock pot, It'll be there when you get there. You remember the poor story when Jesus is walking on the water and, and, and he tells Peter, Peter, thank you. He tells Peter, Peter, come over here. And Peter jumps out of the water. And then all of a sudden, Peter looks around and, and, and the storms and the waves and, and he begins sinking. And, and I've heard it so many times that Peter lost confidence in Jesus, and I was looking at that this week, and I thought, no, Peter didn't lose confidence in Jesus. Jesus is still on top of the water. He knows Jesus can do it. What Peter lost confidence in is what Jesus can do through one person who is willing and obedient. You see the difference? There's so much that God wants to do through you and this church and this body, but we've got to recognize that it's not our stuff that we have to offer, but it's His power, and only by His power will we see come about the clear vision of the mission that He's given us to do. He says, go and make disciples. Boy, I love y'all. I do. And some of you are engaged in this, but... We've poured and we've poured and we've poured. Man, if you've said you're ready to make a disciple and you're still waiting on a disciple to come your way, you're missing it. Jesus says, go, listen, do it. <laughs> Be engaged in some way in making a disciple. We like to have meetings. We like to talk about it. But where does the rubber meet the road? Number three, our primary call is to be with him. What does Jesus say in this passage in Matthew chapter 4? He says, follow me. 
Jesus, first and foremost, wants you and I to be with Him. To, to be with Him. To, to follow Him. To be with Him. To spend time with Him. To get to know Him. You remember back to the analogy of the rabbi that would, that would train the, the key guy? It was... Man, he, 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 had to, he wanted him to be with him so that he would talk like he talked, that he, that he would act like he acted, that he would respond the way he responded. And listen, if we want to know Jesus and we want to be like Jesus, if, if that's our heart's desire, some of us, it's not. Some of us, we want Jesus just enough to know that we've got him. And we can call ourselves a Christian. But the one who's a disciple of Jesus, the only reason that that person is following after Jesus is because they want to be like him. Now, do we fail in that? You bet we do. But when we fail, we say, you know what? I know, that, that's a good humiliating thing. God, I know I'm not there, but God, would you work in me and conform me to the likeness of Christ? You see, he has committed in your life and in my life as followers of Christ that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, com to completion. He's committed to change us, and he wants to do that. We've got to cooperate with him, and that means that we've got to spend time with him and to get to know him. He's given us one primary means and way to get to know him, and it's through his word. You see, you and I need to soak in this stuff. Now, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip out there to anybody because I'll be honest with you, I'm vulnerable. There are some days where it doesn't happen for me. Is that okay? Did you get a pastor? Some days it just doesn't happen. You know why? Because I let work, the work of ministry, crowd in the primary thing that he's called me to be, and that is to be with him. So whatever we got to do, man, we got to soak in his word Daily be in His Word, or as often as we can be in his, his Word. Get to know Him. There are other ways that we have here that we, we set and schedule to help you get to know Him through the Word. Probably the best way is through a small group. If you're not in a small group, get connected in a small group. Everybody, Jeff, raise your hand. If you're not in a small group, Jeff will get you connected in a small group. Write it on your Connect card today, small group, and Jeff will call you back tomorrow. If he doesn't call you back tomorrow, let me know. We want you in a small group, in community, with other believers. Our Wednesday night classes that are starting next Wednesday night, we offer those. There's a men's group that's, that, that'll be kicking back up again. We have a, a marriage class. You see anybody struggling in their marriage? It's a great place to immerse himself in the Word of God. All of them are listed there in your bulletin. Take a look at that. Register for a small group. Get in the Word, however you got to do it. Soak in His Word. Fourthly, we see in this, we see that you had to leave it. And you're like, j that's a funny way to say that. You see that you had, we see that you had to leave it. What was it they left when they followed Jesus immediately? First thing, they left their what there? Left their nets. They, they left their means of provision. Now, don't run off on a tangent with that, Okay. What Jesus was showing us in this is that to be his disciple doesn't mean we've got to leave our job. But to be his disciple, we need to recognize and realize that our trust in those things that we need have to come from him and nowhere else. We can get the idea when we're in a career path that, boy, everything that we get comes from company A, B, or C. No, it doesn't. It comes from God and God alone. And we got to work hard, right? We have to be responsive for it. We do the best we can. But everything, because let me tell you, I've experienced it, can go away tomorrow. Our dependency, Jesus was teaching in that. It was a proving ground, I think, for these guys. You know, it's easy to say, I'm going to step out of the boat and I'm going to follow after you, but then when we see what's involved in it, we easily check out and say, you know what, this is a lot harder game than I thought it was. And I think through that process, it was a proving ground to them and to Jesus whether or not they were serious about what they said. Thirdly, I think in them leaving their vocation, what Scriptures show us is that it was a priority of the mission. Here's how that applies to you and I. God may not call us away from a vocation. He may not lead us away from that. 
But he has you and I in the place that we're in, in our vocation. And we got to keep in mind that his mission is the priority. We're not there to earn a paycheck. We're not there to climb the corporate ladder. We are there because God has sovereignly appointed that place for us to be so that we can be in that workforce and that workplace to be a witness unto him, bring him glory. Second thing they had to leave was family. They left Zebedee. <laughs> you imagine Zebedee going, hey, boys, where are you going? We got stuff to do. They leave their father. Either the vocation leads their father. What he's saying, your most important relationship was with me. Your most important relationship in life is with Jesus. He's secondly showing not only the most important relationship, but the most important allegiance you have is to me. Let me pull aside for a second. I had a college student, this was a few years ago, come to me and I think they were between their sophomore and junior year and dad had the idea that they were going to do X during the summer but they really believed that God was leading them to go overseas in a destination to serve on mission during that summer rather than doing X, what dad expected them to do. They come to me and they say, what should I do? I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do, right? Because number one, I'm not going to get you mad at me, and I'm certainly not going to get your dad mad at me. And I said, let me tell you what you do. You follow whatever it is that you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to do, and then you trust him in the rest of it. This person followed what they believed God was calling them to do. Dad was very upset and very mad. As a result of it, the dad, I think, you might have to find that man as just a Christian by the end of that summer and time with his college-age child going away to serve, dad transitioned from being a Christian to being a disciple. You get it? You see, sometimes it's not about the game we're involved in. Oftentimes, it's about the others that are around us, that God is using us in that way. Let me move on. Last thing is this, that he commands us to reproduce spiritually. Notice what he says here. Follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. I like to refer to this as the full orb of being a disciple of Jesus. Because being a disciple of Jesus is doing everything that he did, right? Being a disciple of Jesus is following his commands and being obedient to him and following and making us fishers of men and discipling others. That's the full cycle of being a disciple of Jesus. And I would propose to us this morning, to myself first, that if we're not engaged in this, if this is not a part of what we do as being a disciple of Jesus, then according to Jesus, I'm not being a disciple. Not according to JMO, but according to Jesus. John 15, 8 says this. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. The fruit bearing that Jesus is talking about here is directly related to spiritual fruit, fruit that'll last. It's, it's directly related to engaging in others' lives, whether it be a first time of sharing Christ with them or taking someone that needs to be discipled and you disciple them. What Jesus is saying is, listen, unless you're involved in this, I don't know that you're my disciple. Get involved in this, he says it himself, and prove to be my disciples. See, God's plan to fulfill the mission is not based on us hiring professional clergy to do it. God's plan to fulfill the mission of the church to win disciple and sin is not to have cutting-edge ministries that are, that are way out there, that are so way out there you wonder where the ministry is, okay? Now, nothing wrong with cutting-edge ministry, but, but that's not how he's going to fulfill the plan. 
That's not how he's going to accomplish a mission. He's not going to accomplish a mission by doing everything we can to try to say, come and see. You see, we misunderstand what the gathering of the saints is for. It's for the edification of the body. Yet we try to gear everything to out there and say, come and see. That's an easy thing. If we just say, come and see, then that relieves me of having to do any work in my responsibility. Now, I know I'm coming against some thoughts here in this, but we get it all wrong. That is not his plan. And there's nothing wrong with having events that might do that. God's plan in fulfilling his mission is not to have 10 million LED screens up here with lights and fog machines and or on the other extreme to have a 200 vocal choir and a, and a 50-piece orchestra. All that's good. But his plan and the fulfillment of the mission is you and it's me. It's you and it's me. That's why last year we had the emphasis, get to know your neighbor, break the ice in knowing your neighbor, and this year now we're doing who's your one because we want to be specific and targeted in this. Folks, if we don't reach them, it's God's plan. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all with me on it, right? In response, here's four quick things that I want you to do. Number one, if you're not connected into this church body, and it means other than, than, than being a tender on the weekend, I, I want to ask you to make that next step and get connected. Next week, we have a Connect class following this service. I'd love for you to come to that. Lunch is provided. Write it on your Connect card. Call the office. Let us know you're going to come. But second to that, the best way for you to get connected into this church body is to engage yourself in a small group. I've already talked about that. Or a discipleship group. Disciple someone or be discipled by somebody else. Second way is that, to make a disciple. If you've not stepped from that, intentionally step. Tap on some shoulders. Make a commitment. Change your schedule. Whatever you got to do, start investing in the life of someone else to make a disciple. Three, I want to ask you to select your one and begin praying this week about the one. We've talked about this. Who is the one that that you want to see come to know Christ. No one comes to the Father, to the Son, unless the Father draws them. We're going to begin tomorrow in your prayer journal. These are out there on the table that you begin daily praying for that one individual that God would open their hearts and that you would have an intentional means and way to be able to share Christ with them. And lastly, I want you to commit to be present for the next four weekends. I'm not one of those that, that harps on everything that matters is church attendance. Y'all know me well enough. But I do believe that God has so constructed the leadership and the authority and the exhortation of God's people through the Word of God. And I believe that over this next five weeks, beginning today, and I'm praying that God begins to really move in our hearts and that we see people come to Christ. Would you commit to be a part of this? Commit to have your heart open to whatever it is that God would say by His Spirit. This is the adjustments I need you to make because you've got a mission that I, I, you're my only plan to do it. Commit to be here. Today, I want to ask you to take a white ping pong ball that is out to my right on this side. Pay attention. Take a white one. There are some colored ones out there. They're for something different. Take a white one and either write the full name of the person that you're praying for on that ping pong ball or write their initials on it. And I want you to take that and keep that with you for the following week, every day. Now, they're, 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 similar, they're, they're not real ping pong balls because you can't break them. So if you stick it in your pocket, it'll be okay. Stick it on your dash, it'll be okay. Lick it, put it on your forehead, whatever you got to do. Put that name on that ping pong ball. Next week when you come, there's going to be a designated place for you to see that you'll put that ping pong in on the wall out here. It would be a weekly reminder to us throughout this next year and beyond that we're, we're praying and asking God to save this person. The colored 
ping pong balls are there for you that when you have an opportunity with that one that you're praying for that you intentionally are able to engage with them in a God or gospel or sharing your testimony kind of conversation that you, you write that name on there and you put that in there. And then we're going to have an individual color that is specifically for those that we know that they have trusted Christ and they place their faith in Him, that somewhere during the next year, we're going to be able to put that color ball in there so that we see the results of what God is doing through us. One way that we've had the opportunity that's come along to engage in our community in closing is that for several months, Miss Vicki has been praying and trying to get into Pine Street Elementary School to begin what is called a beach club for kids that are there. It's an after-school beach club. It's kind of like a strip down Awana, if I can use that term that way. And we kept running into roadblocks. It seemed we couldn't get with the principal. And then we learned that the school board, there's a committee that has to approve it. And, and then, well, it, we don't want this word in it. And it needs to go back to the board and, and be voted on by the board. And there was a lot of prayer that went into it. And if you know how difficult it is to get a Christian beach club or Christ following beach club, we'll say that, into a public school, it's not easy. We got word, I think, on Tuesday, Vicki, is that right? Vicky's not in here. Uh, we got word on Tuesday that the school board had voted yes, that they'll allow us to go in, and that the principal is glad to have us. We have some teachers that are there. But here's the kicker. It begins September the 10th. And it's going to be from 2 to 3.30 once a week on Tuesdays. But in order to be prepared for that, we only have a few weeks, and we've got a training that's coming up on August 25th following the second service. There'll be a lunch provided. You can contact Miss Vicki here at the church office. Let her know if this is something that God is leading you to do to be a part of. We know that we've got to reach kids when they're young. We've seen the statistics of how difficult it is to reach them later in life. So I want to close by having you watch this video that we're going to share on that. And then I think the worship team is going to come out just to lead you out. But you'll be dismissed at the end of that. I'm out in the lobby. If you're a guest this morning or never have met you or I'd like to talk to you, meet you, put a face to a name, we'll be out there. Father, we pray that you would work in us to do all that you want to do. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.